1: Today on the show, I have David Press of Valorum Business Advisory. Brought David on the show specifically to talk about business valuation, what the issues are surrounding getting your business to maximum value, and how to make the most of your business valuation. And with that, here's my interview with David Press. David, thanks for taking the time today. Thank you very much for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. So let's just clarify one thing off the bat. You are not the actor who played Darth Vader. (laughs) No,
2: no, I'm not. And and he's no longer alive. So so thankful I am still alive. But no, I do. I do get those questions from time to time from people who are obviously uh, big Star Wars fans.
1: Oh, I was just watching on the weekend with my son. So it's uh, top of mind. Okay. So David Prowse of Valorum, tell us about what it is you do for a
2: living. Okay. So essentially my business is centered around what I would call an exit planning business that does a little bit of valuation, a little bit of value acceleration exit planning, and a little bit of corporate finance. And by that, I mean sort of fractional CFO work. And I'll tell you a little bit about my background. So I'm a Canadian okay. CP by, by background. I got my CPA, or formerly chartered account, back in the day uh, in 1996. And, you know, did most of my career early part was very much centered around your typical CA stuff. And then later on, around 2015, I got involved with some corporate finance and valuation work. And it was around there that my mind kind of really started tweaking into just the whole concept of value creation, especially for business owners who are looking to grow and exit their business. So I got involved a little bit later on with uh, the Exit Planning Institute in the US and got my uh, certification down there, which is the SEPA after my name, Certified Exit Planning Advisor, and you know, ran into other people who were kind of in the field. And so I decided that what I wanted to do is really run a practice that's just, just solely focused then on middle market businesses to help them grow and success- successfully exit their business over whatever timeframe they're looking at, which is usually going to be, let's say, Three to ten years, and the reason I got into is uh, there's some sobering factors out there that I think are really important. And so I really kind of felt that there was a yeah. big need in the marketplace for these services. So I'll just run down just some of the the more sobering statistics. So in the U.S. Census, for example, they say that by you know 2030, all the baby boomers will be 65 and and, and older. So if you're running a business, mm-hmm. you're probably going to be you're going to be past retirement age. Eight percent of the wealth. Has been tied up in their business or or more, and this is in 2016. It was an estimate about 10 10 trillion dollars in the U S. was going to transfer by, by the time the the baby boomers had had finally transitioned all their businesses. So if we use you know your typical 10 to one kind of ratio comparing Canada to the U S. to Canada, then you could probably estimate that maybe there's about a trillion here in Canada. So that's that's a big number, and you know historically. We know that a lot of businesses actually put on the market do not sell. So 70% or plus do not sell. There's also other statistics about, you know, from the personal side, 12 months after exiting, three out of four business owners regretted selling. Okay. And then in terms of family transitions, only 30% survive into the second generation, 12% survive into the third generation, and 3% survive beyond that. So those are really kind of sobering statistics. So really, what we really need is is a holistic kind of exit plan for the the middle market business owner. And by holistic business plan, I mean, yeah. I mean taking a look at you know number one, financial readiness, personal readiness, and and business readiness. So financial readiness that's somebody who's coming to you and saying, Jason, tell me what I need to retire. Like, what do I need to retire, and how do I how do I get there? Business readiness is really about you know that's that's where we get into a lot a lot more details about the valuation of the business. So I kind of analogize exit planning or business readiness. It's like you're going on a trip. So if you were, you're planning a trip or you were, you wanted to go from one destination to the other, you're probably going to pull your smartphone up. You're going to try to figure out where am I right now? And then you're going to try to figure out where am I going? And then you're going to figure out how am I going to get there? So, you know, in the case of a, you know, let's just say you're on a, um, a vacation, you might start off wherever, but you know, you're going to figure out based on your phone, what your starting position is. You're going to figure out where am I going? The phone will tell you sort of the most direct route, but it also gives you some other alternatives. And so, you know, for example, you may want to plan out a side trip to a winery or do this or that. And that's what kind of exit planning is. And, and so I analogize it when you're trying to figure out where you are now, what you really want to find out is what's what's the value of a business right now. And we call that a baseline valuation. And it's very important if you're going to do any sort of exit planning that you need to understand what the value of your business is now. Because for a lot of owners, they probably don't know the value of their business. They probably overestimate the value of their business. So the next step after that is to sort of figure out, okay, well, what's what's the potential valuation of your business? So. When we take a look at the, there's multiple databases out there and you know, deal stats is a really good one. There's a few others. We try to get an idea of, okay, so what's in the, in the universe of, of, of businesses that are transacting, we have some information on their multiples. We have some information on deal stats, some really good information on, you know, some of the, uh, like the operating margins, the gross margins. We have some other benchmarking tools that we can take a look at for, for businesses in the industry. So by doing that, then we can figure out, Okay. That's what you're, we know what the full range of what goes on within the industry and, and the, the multiples are going to change industry by industry. But we want to have an idea of like, what's, what's sort of the top, the top level for your industry. And then what we do is we we do like a diagnostic where we, we, we go mm-hmm. into a very detailed questionnaire with the owner or owners, and we try to figure out based on the responses. And we're really focusing in on is, you know, value drivers, we're focusing on the personal readiness. We're trying to figure out where does that business lie in terms of its potentiality? And because it's it's really important, for example, like in some cases, a business may not even be transferable. If there's certain characteristics to it, it may not even be transferable. And then, you know, transferability (laughs) is sort of a, you know, it's not a binary thing, so it's, it's a matter of degree, and that's and that's where sort of the multiple comes in, is that yes, it may transfer, but you may you may not have an op- optimal multiple.
1: So let's take a step back and unpack and, and this for a bit because we covered a lot covered a lot here. Okay. So let's let's unpack each of these one at a time, right? In a little bit more detail as opposed to where we're going. So the first piece, let's actually start with personal readiness. Okay, because this is something I've actually talked about quite frequently on the podcast and other podcasts, which is I always joke that there's two financial plans. One is the, the financial aspect, which we'll get to in a second, of being able to to pay for retirement. The other one is the, what the heck am I going to do with all that time? And your stat on how many people is it? Two thirds of people regret it within what a period of time, of like some three out of four, three out of four. So how three out of four. So 75% of people regret it. And it's, it's, it's probably most likely due to the loss of an aspect of their identity, right? Like it's what they did for a very long time. So what are they, what, and who are they now? And they haven't really planned it out. And I always tell people that you need a plan for that, because frankly, there's only so much golf you can play and at least I can and with terrible scores. And frankly, if you think you're going to go from working the life of an entrepreneur to stopping, that's like driving a car at hundred miles an hour and hitting a brick wall. That's not going to be go well for you. So what do you, when having these conversations around their personal readiness, like how do you develop this and get them ready for this kind of altering life change?
2: Yeah, it's very, very difficult. I think getting the conversation started is, is important. And for a lot of them, most of them have a very vague notion about what they want to do post-exit, and, and actually, for a lot of them, they, they have nothing concrete, really even thought out. So so my role is really during that planning stage is to start that conversation, try to figure out to what degree they've, they've put some thought into it, and then start getting into a conversation about what some of their options are. Because you know, when I do work, it's there's sort of the planning stage and there's an implementation stage. So the, the planning stage, we're trying to figure out to what degree they've they've done any work on that post exit mm-hmm. planning. So and in many cases, it's nothing. So so the first implementation step, <laughs> the first implementation step may be, okay, let's in the next 90 days, why don't you come up and, and start coming up with a list of three things that you want to do when you retire? And there's a wide variety of things. And, and for a lot of people, because they haven't put thought into it. It gives them sort of sort of food for thought to think about. For example, maybe they do want to get into consulting, or they want to stick around as as sort of a consultant for for the business, and something like that's going to actually play into the exit as well, because you know maybe there's an exit strategy there that fits in with that particular mindset. The other thing is. You know, maybe for some of them, they they want to start another business. For some of them, it's going to be just pure retirement. You know, like they start thinking about it's going to be, yeah, I want to I want to build that deck on the cottage that I've been putting off, or I want to develop new hobbies after after I I exit because I, you know I can't sit around and, and and be be still all the time. So for every owner, it's going to be different. But so it's it's starting that conversation and then. Started, you know, to move it into you know a specific area, and if necessary, like there are some some specialists in that area that maybe can help them out as well. So if they're really kind of stuck and and that's that's a sticking point for them, then we can bring someone in as well to, to help them out. Because one of the things, the reason why it's important is that if you don't address it, what ends up happening is that I mean a lot of the regrets coming from the, just that lack of planning. And the other thing that can happen is that you have the owner almost subconsciously maybe sabotage the exit and and sort of. We've heard stories from brokers and intermediaries where the owners, you know, like everything seems to be moving along and all of a sudden they just kind of get cold feet and, and, and blank out or ghost out. And the deal just doesn't, doesn't end up happening is because they're just too afraid to move past that point of time. So ideally if you've given yourself runway and, and from, like I said, my runway tends to be two plus years or more, that's a, a good period of time to start really thinking about and putting together an action plan to,
1: to deal with your post exit life. So yeah, it's uh, it's one thing that, and frankly, in all of this, because people are just. And I, this has come up with several times, one with, uh, I mean, Peter Merrick and a couple other uh, guests of the podcast, around finding purpose and meaning beyond work, because it is, a, it is a major thing people just do not consider. You spend all this time trying to amass the wealth that's going to let you be free. And then at the end of the day, you're just, you know, now you're, you're tied to the job so perfectly, so, so tightly that it's hard to separate yourself from that. So that's the personal readiness. The financial readiness, um, I mean, that's kind of my job. So let's talk about the financial readiness aspects of that. Someone like me has come in first and, and basically show them that they, could, they can do so with even, you know, say no value or even a modest valuation for the business or a realistic one. That's a pretty, I think that would make your life a lot easier. But what happens when that conversation hasn't happened yet? You know, someone tell, tells you about wanting to get out of their business and hires you, but they haven't engaged a financial planner. What does that look like?
2: That's something we we would identify during the early stages of our discussions, and and I would say mm-hmm. that the probably the number one action item I would say during the implementation stage is if you don't have a financial planner, go find one, and if you do have one, have that conversation in ninety days. Let's let's talk about try to get that discussion going and maybe maybe have a retirement plan in place because it's it's important because all of this is interrelated. So, if you don't have that discussion about the financial readiness and what's going on with your business, because the, the business valuation and everything is all tied in. So, if you haven't had that discussion, if you're just focusing on the business side, which is which is fine, but you, you still don't know what number you're, you're you're trying to shoot for, right? So, they need to have that conversation with you to sort of have an idea of okay, this is the retirement that I'm looking for, and this is these are the numbers that I'm looking for, and then. You know, when they do the business valuation and we look at the potential value of the business, sometimes it's you know the reality is a lot of times the current valuation isn't going to be matching that number that they they need right now for for the retirement. So hopefully, if they have time, then they have time to do you know some sort of value creation program to correct that value gap. But if they haven't mm-hmm. had a, if they haven't had a discussion with you or a financial planner or wealth manager, then the business improvement side is obviously always important, but they still don't. They still don't know what the retirement looks like, or whether that's going to be enough for them. So, what really what I, my practice is about is a holistic exit planning. And it's about putting you know the three legs of the stool that personal readiness, business readiness, and uh, financial readiness t- together, and making sure that. You've got all those three components in place. And, and obviously during the implementation stages, if there's some gaps there and things that need to be filled in, then that's ideally when you have a two or three or four or five year time horizon, then you can start to fill in those gaps and start to to deal with those improvements. But otherwise, you know, it's if you've only addressed one of those things, it's it's like having a, a stool with a wobbly leg or you are just going to fall over. Yeah. Fall over. Yeah.
1: So you mentioned something earlier about uh, whether or not the value matches what they think it is. And, you know, as I like to say with this, everyone likes to think their baby's pretty. And unfortunately, you know, especially when they're in a negotiation, if they're in a negotiation then they've got every best interest in getting the, the maximum dollar possible. But unfortunately, the reality is not everybody's baby is pretty. How do you deal with that? You get to meet with a, a business owner who says, well, yeah, I think my business is worth X. And you say to them, sorry, bud, it's like 50% of that. How do you handle that situation?
2: Well, the the initial valuation is always a a difficult conversation because it's probably the first, maybe maybe the first time they've ever had a valuation of their business. And for a lot of people, they don't necessarily, they haven't been educated on how valuation works. And a lot of times they've been exposed to talking with their peers. And you know, there's something we call like the country club valuation or the golf club valuation, which is what they talk to one of their their peers at the golf club and they said, Oh, I sold my business for seven times cash flow. And the, you know, the problem obviously with that is is that, you know, number one, it doesn't we don't really know to what degree how accurate that is. Number two, people who brag are probably talking about their enterprise value. They're not necessarily talking about what the actual net proceeds were at the end of the day. And the reality is every business is going to be different. And maybe there was a very good reason why that business sold for a good multiple that Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with the existing business that we're talking about. So I tend to use that valuation as an educational point, but I also do the value driver assessment at the same time. So it's kind of like a good news, bad news thing. The bad news is your business isn't worth as, as much as you think it is right now. But the good news is that you can do something about it. And that's something that a lot of people <laughs> don't always understand is that they just assume that the business is whatever the value is, they have no control over. It's just, you know, just the market that that impacts them. And, and while there are some things that are obviously outside your control, like things like, you know, COVID-19 or whatever, there are some other things that you as a business owner can control in terms of improving the value of your business. So. What I try to do is I try to incorporate both those things together so that they, they can, once they've kind of got over the, the initial shock of what their, their valuation is, I try to I want them to really understand, okay, this is this is what drives it, this is what's going on in the marketplace in terms of the other kind of comparable transactions. And then by looking at the value driver assessment, we can show them but you can still improve your business. And here's, uh-huh. here's some of the things that you can do. And, and, th- and there's different ways of kind of prioritizing that. And what we try to do is we try to incorporate that into the action plan specifically, what are they going to do to improve the value of the business? So there is a huge sort of educational component. I mean, it's it, a lot of sense is sometimes doing evaluations, it's like going to a dentist and finding out, you know, you need a you need some procedures. It's not always pleasant. Okay. But the reality is that you have you have to do it and you you deal with it. And owners need to understand is that you know they they don't take a passive approach towards their business. They're usually very involved with their business and they know that they can actively involve with the strategy and the pricing and the business development. And the same thing is is true for for the valuation of the business. It's not it's not a passive exercise. It's something that they can they can actually get involved with. So once you've helped them sort of educate them on that process. And they, they obviously understand what, what the importance of it is, which is, you know, it's obviously a great amount of importance. And they start to understand, OK, now there are some things that we can do. And, and then you start getting into the, sort of the next discussion, which is here's a list of things that we think you should do based on our assessment. And let's start talking about prioritization. And there's different ways of prioritizing. For example, you could... Pick like the one big rock, the one big problem that's really the main problem in the business. And and then we'll deal with some of the other stuff later. Or you could start off with some easy wins. So low-hanging fruit, get some victories under your belt, and then start dealing with some of the tougher stuff. You bang for your buck. There's different ways of kind of assessing the things that are important in terms of improving enterprise value. So you could organize it that way. It's going to really depend on on the owner's preferences. And once they get educated on the process, they they really do get, get actively involved in it.
1: Let's get on to the, um, into the business readiness case. So business readiness is probably twofold in my imagination. I'm sure you could correct me if I'm wrong here. But I would say one is from a enterprise maximization by making sure that certain numbers are being hit and whatever to make sure you get the, the maximum value for it. The second piece probably has to be a very operational administrative issue. Like I'm sure this you you walk in these situations and everything flows through the the business owner, right? So there's no processes in place. Talk to me about what you most commonly see as both the, let's call it the quantitative and the qualitative aspects of what people need to do to get ready for the sale of the business.
2: That's a great question. Yeah, I think to me, like the two biggest value killers in a business are gonna be really a lack of separation of the owner uh, from the business and a high degree of customer concentration. So for example, customer mm-hmm. concentration could be uh, you know let's just say three customers represent 50 percent of the revenues no that's that's a very risky situation so a prospective buyer for example comes along and they're going to view that as a very risky situation because in any given situation and lots of random things can happen where maybe maybe that one of those customers disappears and all of a sudden 15 to 20 percent of your revenues are gone you know over a short either overnight or over a short period of time. Those would be the probably the most critical things. So what I try to do is try to focus in on, okay, do we have a customer concentration problem? And that's something we'll identify right during the valuation. There's a separate assessment we can do in terms of the, the owner separation. But that's an example where, number one, the owner has to be basically involved with, with everything. And I ask them, like, can you take a vacation and put the phone away? And if they can't do that, then there's probably some degree of owner dependence because ideally you know ideally where where you want to be in, the, in a in a perfect situation would be you're managing that process you're developing the strategy for the business but your management team and everybody underneath them is running the business on a day-to-day basis and if you you disappear for a couple of days that machine still runs for a lot of lower middle market businesses and that's probably 5 million to 50 million dollars in revenue that's a difficult situation. So if we do identify, I mean, that's that's probably the, the biggest rock that would have to be dealt with. So number one is, you know, is the owner actively involved with the processes? The second aspect of that is, is there documentation of those processes? And that's important because if a, a prospective buyer comes along and they want to buy the business, if everything's sitting up in the owner's head, it's going to be very difficult for them to try to. Unless it's a very intuitive business, it's going to be difficult for them to understand that business, and and so it's either going to reflect poorly on on what they're going to offer in terms of the multiple, or they just won't put a bid on it. Like the business just won't transfer. So those are the you know the the two most critical things. And then it also really gets in from an organizational perspective to what degree does the top-down communication and bottom-up communication work? So top-down top, top down is the owner is the one who's supposed to be driving the strategy. So how do they communicate that to, to management and how does management communicate that to the employees? On the other side of the equation, you know, understanding what's going on with the customers and customer satisfaction, customer feedback is important and it's the frontline employees who are the people who are getting that feedback. So what's the process for them to... Communicate upwards up to management. So we'll have you know conversations about that. On the quantitative side, obviously, I come from a financial background, so I, you know I'll ask a lot of questions about what's going on with their financials. And for a lot of those businesses, those owners are only going to look at their financials once a year. And frankly, that's that's not enough. Now they they may think they have a grip on what's going on, but the reality is is that if you're going to go through some sort of value creation program. You need to understand, like, you know, where's where's your business going to go over the next couple of years? Certainly, you certainly need to have an understanding of what's going on in the next 12 months. You know, if you're growing your business, your working capital is probably growing too. So do you have a grip on that? Most of the business owners don't understand. They implicitly understand working capital, mm-hmm. why, they, why they need to manage it, but they don't do it. So the working capital is probably yeah. not, not the most efficient, efficiently operated. And, and there's, you know, again, that, that's where the benchmarking comes in is that we can kind of help them out with that. On the CapEx side, have they deferred CapEx, capital expenditures, because that's that's a situation that's, you know, it's going to impact the valuation, like a prospective buyers. If it's a, you know, assuming it's a capital intensive business, they're not going to be fooled by that. They're going to ask those questions during the due diligence. So so if you, you know, those those type of things where you've kind of permanently deferred your capital expenditures, that's something that needs to be addressed as well. Things that I, I helped them out with would be, like, for example, developing KPIs, key performance indicators. And you can do that both on the financial side and the operation side. If you haven't developed those type of metrics on the financial side, chances are you you probably haven't done it on on the operation side either. And that's going to be important because you know, for you know, assuming you're like a manufacturer or maybe a wholesaler, you probably want to understand what's going on with your in terms of your, your efficiency and in terms of how you're handling orders, et cetera. So, you know, you need to start getting a grip on that. So that's those are the type of things that, that are really important because if you're going to grow your business first of all and it boils down to like we talked about the valuation sort of knowing where you are and where you're going it's the same thing with those metrics you, know, you need to understand like what's the state of my my operations and ter- you know by, based on various metrics. And then is that, are those good metrics or those bad, you know, is there room for improvement? And then the question is, okay, let's try to figure out like what the targets are. And then you need to have a start having a process to to measure them to get to where you're going. Because if you don't measure them, then you're, you're still this, you're not really accomplishing too much of anything.
1: So we covered a fair amount there, specifically around the key areas. So, I mean, to recap those key areas, in layman's terms, not as helpful as you put it there. One is knowing what you're going to do with your time when you do retire. Two, being able to actually retire financially. And the last one is basically having your business in the most ready method or most ready state for maximization of enterprise value when you retire. And this is something that you guide people through a process in order to make sure they address those drivers. Fantastic. So um, David, thank you very much for this. It's been informative and I'm sure I get some uh, some people reaching out to you. Where can people find you?
2: Uh, they can reach out to me at value at Valorum.ca. So that's V-E-L-O-R-U-M.ca to send me an email. I'm happy to talk with anybody.
1: David, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. So that was this week's episode of Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. I hope you enjoyed that. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is that you get your and Until next time, take care.
0: This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.